Amen. It's great to see you guys this afternoon. Thanks for being here. My name is, uh, my name is Mike Van Auken. We're here for a class on the Psalms. The, uh, the title of the class is uh, Songs of the Soul. And I'm here to report this is the first time in 28 years of ministry anyone has ever suggested that I'm going to do a class that might include singing. And uh, in fact, somebody asked me, am I going to sing during this class? The answer, mercifully, is no. Okay. But, uh, but and, then, and when I told him that, he says not coming. And in fact, Dave Bragg's not here. So next time you see Dave, you can tell him uh, we miss him. But uh, it's true. I was talking to Deanne and to Ruby here. It's true. I look like Doug Arthur. I know that's a fact. Um, I've been told that for a long, long time now. And at the end of today's class, we will decide whether or not Doug taught it or I taught it, okay? If you don't like today's class, Doug taught the class, all right? If you do like it, Mike Van Ock, and that's with a V. But, uh, but anyways, let's say a prayer and we'll jump on in. Let's pray. Father, we're, uh, we're grateful to be together. We're grateful to be in your word. Uh, we're grateful for the Psalms. We're grateful for uh, the heart that, of man that uh, Psalms expose. We're grateful for the heart of God that Psalms expose. We're grateful to be able to imitate those hearts. We're grateful to grow through that, God. We're grateful for the pattern of prayer. We're grateful for the pattern of worship. And we're grateful for just the profile of Almighty God uh, that the Psalms give us and the profile of an approachable God uh, that the Psalms give us, God. We're grateful for that. I pray that uh, all of that will come through and so much more besides because it's your spirit that's really at work here over these next several minutes. We love you. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 There's so many good questions to ask. It's worth asking, does God hear my prayer? Is it worth praying? If God hears my prayer, will He do anything about it? If He wants to do something about it, can He do something about it? Is He just wind up the world as God and just lets it go? Or is God really there? How involved is God? What do I do when I'm feeling so much? And it's worth asking as well, what do I do when things are going so great? How do I I express myself? How do I thank God? How do I praise God? How do I do that in a way that, that, that really makes a difference to God, that really lets God know? How grateful I am and how, how humbled I am and how uh, undeserving I feel for the blessings that He gives us. And we won't answer all of those questions today, but those are the kind of questions that we see answered and that we saw, see the psalmists wrestle with. And as we work through our, our way through the psalms, and we get some sense of what the psalms are all about. Those are the kind of questions that we can come to grips with in our own personal walk with God. And we can get so much more out of our walk with God if we really access Him through the Psalms. We add that, if you will, to our Christian toolbox of how we get to God. We go there, we get to Him through the Psalms in addition to everything else. The Psalms, a little bit of background. Of course, with 150 chapters, it's the longest book in the Bible. Uh, most of you have probably heard, and it's true, that it's the most quoted, book in the, most quoted Old Testament book in the New Testament. Uh, there's just so much there. Uh, the Psalms are part of what uh, the, in biblical literature would be called the wisdom literature. There are lots of different kinds of literature in the Bible. There's history. There are letters. There's apocalyptic. That's, that's Book of Revelation and things like that. Wisdom literature 
is, a, is a, it's its own genre. The wisdom literature is basically Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Songs, and most people would include Job as well. And wisdom literature, what uh, you need to understand about wisdom literature is a little bit tricky. You don't want to just take it straight up literally. This is not a promise of God coming out of the mouth of Jesus. This is not doctrine coming from the pen of Paul. This is wisdom. And even the wisest people are wrong sometimes. Wisdom literature, the idea of wisdom literature is that it's, it's kind of what's generally true of the way an unpredictable world tends to work. That's generally how it goes, is the way wisdom literature. And, uh, so, and in Psalms in particular, the, uh, the language is one of poetry. And the, and the uh, message is one of heart overhead. And I don't know about you when you're feeling stuff, but every now and then, when I'm feeling stuff and I'm communicating my feelings, I'm not just really nailing down the dry facts exactly as they appear, you know? Sometimes I get a little overstated, okay? Sometimes I get a little understated. It depends what kind of point I'm really trying to make and what I'm feeling. And so, uh, so there's some things. So, so for example, uh, so I'm, I'm going to show you the verses today because we'll be all over the place. But uh, you can jot them down, whatever. Psalm 51, verse 4, this is David after his sin with Bathsheba. He says, Against you, you only have I sinned. And done what is evil in your sight, so you are proved right when you speak and justified when you judge. Now, is it true that the only being against whom David sinned was God? Well, he did commit adultery with another man's wife and then had that other man killed. And by the way, David was married at the time. There are a few other beings out there that got sinned against. But he's feeling so, so convicted with God, he goes, against you. You only have I sinned. It's not exactly what it is. Verse 37, verse 4. We love this passage. Delight yourself in the Lord. He will give you the desires of your heart. That's generally true. That's generally how the world works. But every now and then, the desires of your heart do depend on other people. And, you know, I, the desire of my heart is that my mom will become a Christian. Well, that also depends on your mom. Right? It also depends on your neighbor or whatever the desires of your heart is. And so you don't want to hang your head on that as an ironclad promise of God. But it is generally how the world works. And the more we delight ourselves in the Lord, the more what we, the desires of our heart, will be more the desires of God's heart. And then it becomes even more true in our lives, of course, right? But it's poetry. It's the nature of poetry. Hebrew poetry, a couple of things you'll notice. As you go through the book of Psalms, so there are pairs of lines. Not in every psalm and not all the time, but there are pairs of lines. Sometimes one line builds on another. Sometimes two lines are synonymous. It's kind of the two ways of saying the same thing. Sometimes those two lines contrast and they, they make a point by saying different things. Here's a, a couple of examples in Psalms 2 and Psalm 1. Psalm 2, this is synonymous, right? The one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. It's imagery. The, the Psalms are full of imagery. As you read Psalms, you will see things in your mind more often than you will hear things in your mind. And you can just picture God just laughing. Just, can he really think that's going to work? I mean, I just like, what is he thinking now? I mean, that's just, you picture God just up there going, oh man, you would think Mike would have had it figured out by now. It's been a long time. But, uh, but there, the Lord just, he laughs. See, I amuse the Lord sometimes. <laughs> Psalm 1, verse 6 is, a, is an issue of contrast. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. 
It's a diff, you know, they, these two lines go together and they go together and they make the point by saying op- the same thing but in opposite ways. It's contrasting the way of the righteous one way, the way of the wicked goes another way. Amen. If you're going to understand Psalms, if we're going to access God the way the psalmist did, then we want to see God that the way that the psalmist did. And there's a, the biggest thing, the most important thing I think we can see when it comes to God and the psalmist is that God, the psalmist knew for sure that there is only one God. That's all there is, only one God. And by the way, he likes you, okay? He's on your side. But uh, there's only one God. And really, this is the foundation of the covenant relationship with God. It begins right there in Exodus chapter 20 when God gives the Ten Commandments. This is the very beginning of any relationship with God, and that is, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. Obviously, he's saying, one thing he's saying is, there there are other possibilities for your gods. You might choose other gods. If you do choose other gods, it's not because they are by nature God. It's because you decide to make them God. And therefore, they will fail you as they get in the way of connecting with Jehovah God. People can become our gods. That's why Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, he must hate his mother, father, wife, children, brothers, sisters, yes, even his own life. Things can become our gods. That's why Jesus said, unless you give up everything, you cannot be my disciple. And God says unapologetically, without embarrassment, without question, without doubt, without any sense of faltering, I am God. I am the only God. And I am here for you. The psalmists, they say it this way. A couple different ways. Psalm 50, verse 1. The Mighty One. God the Lord speaks and summons the earth from the rising of the sun to the place where it sets. Psalm 18, for who is God, the God, besides the Lord? And who is the rock except our God? The psalmists know God. And they know God as a personal God. And they picture God as a personal God. In the Psalms, of course, again, it's poetry. It's not actual, literally true. But they see God as having eyes, as having ears, as having a mouth, as having a nostril, of having a strong right arm. This is a personal, personal God. This is a God who thinks. This is a God who laughs. This is a God who gets angry. This is a God who prepares a feast, who shoots an arrow, and who wields a sword. This is a personal God. You can picture what this God is doing. This is not a fuzzy idea. This is not some all-knowing, all-being, all that kind of... He is all that. But you can picture God. Now, it's not. you're not allowed to draw God. That's an idol, but you can picture God. And you can see God. And when you see God, and we're going to look at some of the pictures that the psalmists have, you need to make sure that we see God. We need to make sure that we see God as a personal God who's involved and who's on our side. That's how come we can have a close connection with God. You know, if you're less than 30 years old, there's a chance you don't know what that picture on the, on the left is. <laughs> Back in the day, we called that a telephone. 
There are things worth knowing about that telephone. The first thing you need to understand about that telephone is the only thing in the world you could do with that phone is make and receive telephone calls. There's no camera involved in that telephone. It won't tell you where you're going when you drive. I dare you to try to put that telephone in your automobile anyway. That's all it would do. And that's a rotary dial telephone right there. And so that means you stick your finger in the little hole and you take it to the stopping point and you let it go and say, and if you had a friend with a zero in the number, you pretty much never called him or her. Because that took like half an afternoon. Like, I mean, that's just what it was. That's all you could do. You could not take that in your room. You could not take that in your car. You may have had two in your house. One in the hallway outside the bedroom, one bolted to the wall in the kitchen. And if you were going to talk on that phone, you were going to do it in front of your little brother or your little sister. The conversations were very different back then than they are right now. It was not very personal. And we're not even going to get into the cost of long distance, okay? It's just second mortgage to get that. But then you have this more civilized. You have FaceTime. FaceTime works. It works everywhere. It works anywhere. It's free. At least it feels free. You can have someone in the woods and someone in the grocery store. Grandma and grandchild, grandpa and grandson, they can all talk. It can be anywhere, anytime, every day, all night long. It doesn't matter. It's just so like, wow, I see your face. I hear your voice. It doesn't sound like this crackling across copper wires. It's amazing. We have a FaceTime God. Do not settle for a rotary dial connection. Are you with me right there? That's what the psalmist lets you do. They let you connect with God in an astonishingly personal way. Who is the God? Who is the God that reveals Himself in the Psalms? A bunch of ideas. God is a rock. God is a rock. This is certainly one of the most common uh, pictures in the Psalms. And it says this in Psalm 18, the very beginning of it. I love you, Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer. My God is my rock, in whom I take refuge, my shield, and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. When you see the word, just a you know, fun fact to no one tells, you see the word horn in, in uh, Hebrew poetry, it typically is strength. It's the idea of a battling animal. Picture two rams going at each other, that kind of a thing, where they're locking horns and they're going for it. It's their weapon, it's their defense, it's their offense. That's God and His mighty strength, what He's picturing right there. And God is a rock. He stands strong. He cannot be overcome. He will not be moved. And you can take refuge in Him. And there are certain things, because God is a rock, that are simply true. And you know, there's a, it's a, I, I pray, and I prayed, I was praying this morning, I said, God. You know, we've been uh, surveying the millennials in our church, in the Boston church, and God, we need to address. We need to address social issues, we do. We need to address race, we need to address men and women's issues. We need to address LGBT, we need to address recreational marijuana. We need to address these things. And it, and it feels like all the things I've always thought are just right. But they might not be. Right. I, it's a different world than 30 years ago when I started this walk. But there are certain things that are true. I say, God, show me the rock. Show me the foundation on which we build our practice. Show me the foundation. Show me what's true. 
as we figure out how to apply it to our lives. God is our rock. We feel that as parents. We feel that in in all walks of our, our lives that there must be a start that doesn't change. And that's true because God is a rock. God is a father. And it says in Psalm 103, which is one of my favorite psalms, Psalm 103 says, As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed, and he remembers that we are dust. God's a father. God as father, he knows as parent, he knows. He knows we're limited. He knows there's only so much we can do. He knows how much he can do. He knows what he knows. I'm a dad. I'm a dad of of grown men now. They're 23 and essentially 21. They're bigger, stronger, faster, better golfers, etc. than I am. And they happen to be listening, so I've got to say all those nice things. But it's all true. It's all true. But there are still things I know how to do. And I know I know how to do them because I, I had a 30-year head start. More than that, 35-year head start. God, has, God knows we're limited. And He's on our side as a dad. And I know, I know it's true in an assembly this size, certainly there are many people who don't look back on the fathers that they had with fondness and go, yeah, I want to relate to somebody like that. But God is a perfect dad. God is the perfect parent. God is the parent who's present. God is the parent who cares. God is the parent who knows. God is the parent who supports. He really does. He's got our best interests at heart. And I think to myself and I pray, say, God, you're a father. I'm not a rock. I'm sure not a king. But I do get to be a father too. I get to be a parent. And so much of what I feel, God, is wrapped up in how my kids are doing, whether I'm worried, whether I'm happy, whether I'm carefree, has so much to do with how my kids are doing. How do you feel based on how I'm doing, God? How do I make you feel? How do I make you feel based on on how I'm acting, on how I'm thinking, on how I'm relating to the people around me, on how I'm relating to you? How do I make you feel, Mike? Making your day better. I try to relate to God as a father because that's who he is. The psalmist knew him as father. And we have the opportunity, we have the privilege, privilege of knowing God as father. And those of us who are parents, mothers or fathers, we can relate to what it feels like to have children and, uh, and the joy that that is, the worry that that is, all the things that that means and the privilege that that is. And we think, boy, I want to be the kind of kid for God that I want my kids to be. And I want to cause God to feel the kind of encouragement that I long to feel and that I love to feel through my own kids. Amen? Amen. God is a father. God is a king. God is not just any old king. He is a powerful king. Uh, Psalms 93, 95, 97 have a few examples. The Lord reigns. He is robed in majesty. The Lord is robed in majesty and armed with strength. Indeed, the world is established, firm, and secure. For the Lord is the great God, the great King above all gods. In Psalm 97, the Lord reigns. Let the earth rejoice and be glad. Let the distant shore rejoice. You know, you can have a spirited conversation about who's in charge. 
You can even have a more spirited conversation about who ought to be in charge. But you can for sure have a conversation. Is it, is it the guy at the top of the pyramid? Is the CEO in charge? Is it the per- people at the bottom of the pyramid who actually do the work? Are they in charge? Is the customer? The customer's always right. Maybe the customer is in charge. Maybe the media is in charge. Who's in charge? You can have that conversation. But when it comes to God, there is no conversation to be had. God is in charge. Amen? God is a sovereign king. You might believe that, uh, that it just depends on the golden rule. You know, whoever has the gold makes all the rules, you know. But God says, I am king. I am sovereign. I rule the nations. I rule nature. I rule how it goes. I depose and I set up the princes and the rulers of this world. God is king. We can take great, great comfort in that. And the psalmist leave no doubt. I'll read a, a few references off to you just by, by a number of psalms. Psalm 5 calls him king. Psalm 48 says great king. Psalm 47 says king over all the earth. Psalm 95, king above all gods. We have that on the chart. King of glory in Psalm 24. Psalm 68, my king. Psalm 74, king of old. And if you want to read... For just 20 or 30 minutes, a set of psalms that, that just are just majestic. Just, boy, this is God robed in majesty. Psalms 93 to 99. You just kind of go through those. That's where these verses come from on the screen. Those uh, six or seven psalms, they just are God as king. It's an amazing, amazing set of psalms. Set of psalms. It feels awesome knowing that God is sovereign. And it's amazing that God, as sovereign as He is and as much as He could do, that He allows us free will, that He allows us to to control our own decision, that He believes in us that much, He offers us that much responsibility, He trains us that well, He gives us that much guidance, that He said, as sovereign as He is, He trusts you to choose what's right. That's God. That's an amazing God. And uh, there's an old story, I'm sure it's not true, I'm sure it's completely false, but it makes a great point, that uh, in the court of Alexander the Great, Alexander the Great founded the Greek Empire and he conquered the entire known world. And the story goes that there's an old man in the court of Alexander the Great who uh, came to Alexander, he was having money troubles, and he said, God, you know, Alexander, I, I could use some money. And Alexander said to him, you go to the treasurer and you tell him what you want and he'll give you whatever you need, anything you ask for is fine. So the old man went to the treasurer and he asked him for this huge sum of money. And the treasurer said, no way I can give you that much money. I've got to go check with the emperor. I can't possibly do that. And he went back to the emperor and he said, hey, he asked for this, this huge sum of money. And he goes, what do I do with that? And Alexander said, pay him immediately. He said, because by the largeness of his request, he pays me great honor. The old man understands both how generous and how wealthy I am. We go to God and we go, what are you asking God for? Do you recognize God in your prayers as a God who is a powerful king? Who indeed can do whatever needs to be done. That He really can. That he, you can go to Him and go, God, You're the God. You're the one who's done so much. You're the God who almost 30 years ago, you had me invited to church. You're the God who, despite the fact that I hated it that first time, brought me back again a second time. You're a sovereign God. It's just God. 
You're the God who, who broke, broke through all, the, all the, the sin in my life. All the messed up emotion in my life, God. You did that. You're the God who, who had me prepared to be able to, to marry Scarlett. You're the God who allowed me to be prepared to be a father to Ryan and to Daniel and now to Sarah. And you're the God who did all those things. I was afraid that was going to happen. The, uh, we'll see if we can get it back, but maybe we won't. Well, I'll give it a shot. The, uh, but you're that God. If you're that God, then you're a God who can do anything. And you can fix what I've got. Let me see what I can fix this real quick. If not, we'll make it. I'm not going to get So there's no power stick down here. So. Alright, don't you worry. We're all good. We're almost at the point where we're going to open our Bibles anyway. God is a, God is a powerful king. God is a safe place. God, who knows what's going on over there. Let's just cover this up. I've never gone overtime in my life. I'm not going to start today. But God is a safe place. He is. This is a powerful king, God, and, and he loves you. He's on your side. He's a safe place. Now you have to write down a couple of references. Psalm 32, verse 7 says this. It says, you are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. Psalm 91, verse 14 says, Because He loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue Him. I will protect Him, for He acknowledges my name. Tell you what, the laments of the psalmist, they prove, they prove they knew God was safe. They went to God with so many complaints. They went back there and they said, Hey, the wicked prosper. The enemies win. My righteousness is not being rewarded here. What's going on? They knew God could handle that. When things don't feel right, and there are lots of times things don't feel right, we can take that to God. He's a safe place. He really is. When you're overwhelmed and you just don't know what to do next, God is a safe place. Place he really is. It was a few years ago now, but uh, I, I was on my knees one night. I just couldn't sleep. It was about two in the morning. I was in the living room. I was like, God, I can't do it. I can't do it. I don't know why. If at the moment, what the uh, issues were for me in terms of family, ministry, personal life, overcoming my own sin, whatever it was. But I spent like half an hour just going, God, I can't do it and listing all the things I could not do and the thing about it is that's so true all the time that's why we have God amen but God I can take that to God you don't got to fake it with God he knows no point in faking it with God all right I mean he knows you can let him know he is a safe place and while not the most frequent Certainly the most famous picture of God in the Psalms is God as shepherd. That's Psalm 23. Psalm 23 reads like this. It says, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me. In the presence of my enemies, you anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. 
Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That's amazing. That's incredible. And what I really, what's really amazing about that psalm to me is, in about whatever, 90 seconds that I read that, David said, I or me or my 17 times. Now, if you and I were talking and I referred to myself in a minute and a half 17 times, you might think I was a modestly self-focused right there. But David's not focused on David. God is focused on David in this psalm. God is doing it. God is preparing a table. God is leading. God is making lie down. God is anointing with oil. God is taking care of David so that David feels and is indeed the apple of God's eye. That's the relationship of the sheep with the perfect shepherd God. Amen? Amen. We've got to make sure that we are relating to God as shepherd. We trust. We follow. We, 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 we take on the perspective that the shepherd has. God is going to give us and God does give us exactly what and who we need. Not all the time to make us happy, although that would be nice. And we can pray for that because he's a safe place. But to make us like Jesus. To help us become like his son. God give us exactly that. And uh, many of us know of uh, Kathy Hammond, the wife of Guy Hammond. And, uh, and if you know, you can look it up on Facebook or whatever. But uh, she has a, she's dying of brain cancer. She's very close to death, it appears. And she has a six-part video series out now, each about eight to ten minutes long, called View from the Valley. She's walking through the valley of the shadow of death right now. And the perspective that she can have and that her husband Guy can have uh, because of their trust in God as their shepherd at this time. And, uh, and I've seen emails from Al with respect to Gloria and referring back to the last week of her life. Of course, she just passed. The, uh, the perspective that you can have as a disciple, uh, with a disciple, going through the shadow of death, the valley of death, is amazing, and it's true because God is shepherd. Amen? So how do we relate? How do we connect with God through the Psalms? You've got to start with these bedrock convictions. You've got to start with a bedrock conviction about who God is, the nature and character of God. He alone is God. Everything else will always prove false. Anything else we put up before God or, or make number one in our lives, including and maybe especially ourselves, will prove false, will let us down. God is the only God. He is rock. He is father. He is king. He is safe. He is shepherd. And the psalmist knew whatever happens, these things are true. I never go back on that. I never have to decide again. I never have to figure it out again. I have to figure out that I have to remind myself, but I don't have to decide again that God is my rock, or that God is my shepherd, or that God is the only one. And so what do we do about that? One thing we do is we pray the Psalms. I'm going to encourage you to pray the Psalms. If you, got, if you can open to Psalm 63, for example. Any Psalm will do. Now, I'm sure there are a hundred ways to pray the Psalms, and I'm sure each way is better than the way before that. But, uh, but the way I pray, I pray the Psalms is I, I, I'm always on a prayer walk when I'm praying. I pray indoors at the empty mall early in the morning when it's cold and rainy. And I pray out in a graveyard because there's nobody there that thinks I'm nuts when it's nice out. 
But Psalm, I'll read a little bit of a psalm and then I'll just pray. And Psalm 63 starts this. It says, O God, You are my God. Earnestly I seek You. My soul thirsts for You. My body longs for You in a dry and weary land where there is no water. And I say, God, boy, that's me on a good day. I want that to always be true. I do. And I love, I do love what I've been getting out of the Psalms over the course of these last several months. It's been so cool. Uh, to see the psalmist, to see their hearts, to see your heart, to see the fact that you allow some of this stuff to be in the Bible is even surprising to me sometimes. Uh, but God, I know there are other days where it's more of an effort, where the words don't jump off the page for me. I pray, God, you'll be with me. Help me to be mature. Help me to grow so that day by day I get more out of your word than I got out of it today. I want to, I want to every day, be, I want to be a learner. I need to journal more. I need to meditate on your word more, God. I really don't do that. I want to do that. That's, that's important for me. Your word talks about that too much. Uh, just keep on going, right? And uh, I have seen you in the sanctuary, beheld the power of your glory. God, I, I saw you in the assembly just this morning. It's amazing, you know, you know, several thousand of us all worshiping together. Churches that hadn't been together since, I don't know, I remember the 90s in Madison Square Garden. I mean, it's just been forever. That was amazing, God. It's incredible when your people come together, I behold you in the sanctuary. And I just kind of go on through a psalm like that, and you, know, that you get to know the psalms, and there are psalms that can, you know, you can, that can match your mood, or help you pull you out of your mood, or help you put you in the right mood, or whatever it all is. But, uh, but I just pray the Psalms, and so that's how I do it for me. And there's plenty of great ways to pray the Psalms. I just kind of use it as a prompt, if you will. Pray a verse, pray until I get to a th- until something comes to mind, and, and then I start praying that, and I look back down and see what's next on the page, or next on my phone, and, and, and I keep on going. And I pray the Psalms, and I pray things I would never have prayed. And, you know, it's not the same old, same old. I'll, I'll certainly work in, you know, Scarlett and Ryan and Sarah and Daniel in there. But, uh, but other than that, anything could happen, you know. And, uh, and that's, you need that kind of freshness in our walk with God. Psalm 44. Look at Psalm 44. The first thing is we pray the Psalms. Second thing is we learn to worship God anyway. You know, Psalm 44 is a sad psalm. It really is. It's, uh, in my, for my money, it is the, uh, the most hopeless, saddest of psalms. Uh, but there are some runners for that. You could look at Psalm 22, 77, 88. There's a bunch. Uh, some of these things, I mean, it's, I mean, they're just sad psalms. They are. But Psalm 44, this is a guy holding on in dark moment. This is a psalm, just we'll go through it. But in this psalm, what's happening is he's getting ready for battle. I guess maybe it's them. It's the sons of Korah. But anyways, they're getting ready for battle. And then the battle happens... And the battle, the outcome is determined, and then there's reflection on the battle. And how come it went just like that? Okay, in Psalm 44, the, verse, the first three verses is basically, I know how you work, God, because this is how you worked in the past. We have heard with our ears, O God. Our fathers have told us what you did in their days and days long ago. With your hand, you drove out the nations and planted our fathers. You crushed the peoples and made our fathers flourish. It was not by their sword that they won the land, nor did their arm bring them victory. It was your right hand, your arm, the light of your face, for you love them. These guys, sons of Korah, the psalmist knows, he knows how God works. This is all about God. It's not about people. It's not on our strength. It's God's strength. I know that. We've learned the lessons of the past, he says. And then he goes on in the next couple of verses, and he proves it. Verse 4, talking about his own situation before he goes to battle. You are my king and my God, who decrees victories for Jacob. Through you, 
we push back our enemies. Through your name, we trample our foes. I do not trust in my bow. My sword does not bring me victory. But you give us victory over our enemies. You put our adversaries to shame. And God, we make our boasts all day long. He's, he's ready. He goes, he's got it figured out. He's not self-reliant. He's God-reliant. He's turning straight to God. But then the battle happens. Look at the result. Verse 9. But now you've rejected and humbled us. You no longer go out with our armies. You made us retreat before the enemy. And our adversaries have plundered us. You gave us up to be devoured like sheep and have scattered us among the nations. You sold your people for a pittance, gaining nothing for the sale. They lost the battle. They did their best. They lost the battle. And they know that if God brings the victory, God brings the defeat for some reason... God did not come through at a minimum. That's his perspective. God decided we're going to lose. And it goes through that to verse uh, verse, uh, 16. And he just details how he feels let down by God. And we all have our battles. We've all lost some battles. And we look back on those battles and sometimes we can see, all right, I see where I blew it. I see where I was, in fact, kind of prideful there. I see where, you know, I didn't listen to advice. I see where I wasn't prayerful or something like that. But look at this guy in verse 17. All this happened to us, though we had not forgotten you or been false to your covenant. Our hearts had not turned back. Our feet had not strayed from your path. But you crushed us. And made us a haunt for jackals and covered us over with deep darkness. If if we'd forgotten the name of our God or spread out our hands to a foreign God, would not God have discovered it? And he goes on, he goes, but we did right. And there are days that happens. There are times when, hey, I lost my job, but I worked hard. I was there on time. I tried my best. My kids have turned back. But I was at church. I had quiet times. We did the devos. You know, and, and our lives, like, whatever. I'm, I'm battling in my faith. I've done all I know to do. And yet it's not turning out the way I thought it would. And they all have those moments. We need to be able to be ready for that. If you haven't felt that yet, you've only been a Christian for a week. Amen. Welcome. Congratulations. Good to have you in the brotherhood. And if you're going to be a disciple much longer, it's going to happen again. And we need this. The world still is random. And there are still other people around us who are free moral agents that make their own decisions. And we need to be ready for that. And we need to be ready in our faith for that. And look down at verse 23. And this is a psalm. It doesn't come around. There's not a happy ending. But it has a great ending. Awake, O Lord. Why do you sleep? Rouse yourself. Do not reject us forever. Why do you hide your faith and forget our misery and oppression? We're brought down to the dust. Our bodies cling to the ground. Rise up and help us. Redeem us because of your unfailing love. He says, we've lost the battle. We did everything we know how to do. And I'm still, I'm saying, wake up, oh God. I know, I don't know what the answers are. But I do know where to go and get them. I'm going to go to God. 
Wake up, O God. Redeem us, O God. And He never loses conviction because of your unfailing love. In a moment when it didn't work out, in a moment when He'd done all He knew to do, in a moment when He'd done everything right, it fell apart. And he he turned back to God because of God's unfailing love. We cannot question God. We we can question God, but we've got to come back. He does question God for like 22 out of 23 verses right there. But in the end, even though they didn't uh, go fight again and win this time, by the time the psalm is over, and even though the enemies didn't come back and go, hey, we were kidding, it's all right, here you go. You know, none of that happened. He goes, it's because I'm still turning to God. I've still got God. I know where the answers are. I don't know what those answers are, what they are, but I know who has them. And I know He's hiding them in His unfailing love for me. And we're going to have those days. You're going to have those days where you're just going to have to hang on and go, God is a rock. God is a father. God is a king. God is a safe place. There's only one and He's on my side. This is our Almighty God. Amen? Amen. And then we learn to praise God as well. Praise is something that's really awesome. We'll finish out with this thought as far as connecting with God in the Psalms. And Psalm, uh, well, there's a lot of different Psalms we could do. Let's go to Psalm 103. Praise is tricky. You know, I've had uh, many, many experiences where, uh, where we've had a group of guys, three or four brothers, we're praying, okay, guys, we're just going to praise God now. For the next 15 minutes, all we're doing is praising God. 90 seconds into that, we're thanking God. Right? It's like, no, 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 that's not praise, that's thanks. That's a good thing, but it's not the same thing. And, uh, and so praise. Praise is the idea of praying about who God is as compared to what God has done. Praise is the idea of figuring out um, and, be, and just identifying and, uh, and the idea of what he, what he does does reveal who He is. But we want to praise God for who He is. And, uh, and my best way to do that, and I've shared this many times in different classes, you may have heard me say it before, is I think of birthday sharing. Now, I don't know what you do in your family or in your, with your friends when it comes to somebody's birthday. But we sit around and at dessert time, we go, hey, we're going to share about the birthday girl. We're going to share about the birthday boy. And we tell that person why they are so awesome. And when it comes to God, that's how I think about praising God. It's like, you're the one. That's my phrase. You're the one, God. You're the one. And then sometimes you're the one who did these things, right? You're the one. You're the one, God, when I, when I got met, I was, I, I was an immoral drunk. When I got met, the full range of emotions was anger and self-pity. And God, you're the one who has me actually enjoying the Psalms. You're the one, God. You're the one who prepared that person to be able to have a pure dating relationship. And a pure marriage that I really enjoy for a long time now. We're 27 years next month. The, uh, I mean, I just, it's, you're the one, God. Amen. You're the one who has decided that you, I'm allowed to be a minister of the gospel. Oh my goodness. You are the one. 
And I just think about and I and I just pray through God. It is talking about what God has done, but I'm ascribing it to God. You're the one who pulled this by your power, God. I remember, I do, I remember, I specifically remember, I could take you to the graveyard I was in when I prayed for the Berlin Wall to fall. And then a few months later, I'm sure I wasn't the only one, but nonetheless, a few months later, it came down, God, you're the one. You're just the one. There it was. And Psalm 103 is kind of a cool psalm. It says this, it says, it's of David. It says, praise the Lord, verse 1, praise the Lord, O my soul. All my inmost being, praise His holy name. Praise the Lord, O my soul. Forget not all His benefits, who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases. And, you know, what's great about this psalm, what helps me with right there is praise. David is reminding himself to praise God. Praise the Lord, O my soul. It doesn't really come naturally even for David, okay? The idea that it doesn't come naturally for you should not be discouraging. Just, just go for it again. And he has to remind himself to praise God. To praise God with his whole being, all his heart, soul, mind, and strength. With all my being, it says there, uh, in my inmost being, praise his holy name. He's separate. God is not just someone bigger than us, stronger than us, more sinless than us, more perfect than us. God is something completely other than us. And so the psalmist, we have pictures in there of king, of rock, of father, of shepherd, safe place. But all those things are just, they just touch the hem of the garment of who God is, what God is meant to be in our lives. And so as we connect with God through the psalms, Remember who He is. He's the one. He's the only one. He's on your side. He has all those things we said. Rock, Father, King, safe place, shepherd, all of that. And we can and we need to, I believe we do need to, pray the Psalms. And like the psalmist, be ready for those days. When because we have a bedrock conviction of the character and nature of God, when life does not go the way it should, the way that uh, we, you know, all the formulas tell us it work, that, that we're still there turning to God because of His unfailing love. And we're able to praise God because He is so awesome. Amen? Thanks very much. Great to be with you guys today. Thanks a lot.